to going to the University of Massachusetts, I could play both soccer and lacrosse, and it was much more affordable. I did not. No, I did not receive scholarship. started earning honors my freshman year. I was always, you know, one of the leading scorers on both teams. I was the captain of the team when UMass won the Women's Lacrosse National Championship, which I believe is the only championship that UMass has. So I was actually around when they started the United States Women's Soccer Team. I did not try out for that, but I had the opportunity to go in that direction. But I also had the opportunity to go and try out for the United States um, Women's World Cup Team. Um, and I, so I went in the direction of lacrosse. World Cup Teams, I played on two. Welcome to the Fred Opie Show, where you learn how to make a difference on and off the field. I'm your host, Fred Opie, a former Syracuse University and U.S. national team athlete turned historian. I use the oral histories of my guests to unpack strategies to make a positive impact in this world. A native of Needham, Massachusetts, Hall of Famer Margie Anderson led UMass to an NCAA Women's Lacrosse Championship in 1982. She was an exceptional soccer player at UMass as well. She played on two U.S. national teams and served as the head coach of the University of New Hampshire's women's soccer and lacrosse teams. Both the women's soccer and lacrosse teams at UNH won ECAC titles and competed in NCAA tournaments. Anderson is the founder and director of the Connecticut-based Spirit Sports Camp for Girls. She lives in Ohio with her husband and children, where she spends most of her time preparing for the upcoming summer camp season. That's today on the Fred Opie Show, an interview with Hall of Famer Margie Anderson. I grew up in Needham, Massachusetts, which is just outside of Boston. And in high school, I played soccer, basketball, and lacrosse. I'm one of 10 children. I'm kind of the oldest of the little kids is how we put it. We had five kids, and then there's a three-year gap, and then there's five more kids. And I'm the oldest of the little kids. I'm the sixth one from 10. So the other siblings, did they go off and play sports in college? A brother who played at Williams College, he played ice hockey. Others all played through high school but did not play in college. Although I think there are some exceptional athletes, and they probably should have. They just chose not to. People sometimes have these ideals about Hall of Famers, that they just were genetically blessed, inherited their ability. Tell me about your parents and their athletic prowess. My dad actually was the athlete in the family. He played all sorts of sports through high school. He was the quarterback of his football team. Um, he did quite well. He did not go on and play in college, however. My mother was more of a supporter from the sideline. I don't think she ever really had the opportunity to play sports, but I do have some athletic sisters. Did you do official visits, and where did you go? Well, UMass had... Well, they were just starting their soccer team. They had hired a soccer coach, and they were just starting a soccer team, getting it off the ground. So the coach there had been in touch with me um, and, you know, had welcomed me to come and hoped that I was going to be a part of the program. And lacrosse, it, uh, they, were, they were already a club sport. It was going to be their first year of varsity when I got there. And then lacrosse was already well established. So I went out to UMass and visited and spoke with the lacrosse coach there. Um, I also, though, went to the University of New Hampshire, and interviewed there. They didn't have soccer, but they did have lacrosse. So I interviewed with a lacrosse coach. And then the other schools I visited were mostly um, Massachusetts state schools. Why UMass? Why did you decide to make that the school you wanted to go to? What were the factors? 
I can remember looking at schools, and my favorite school was the University of New Hampshire. That's really where I wanted to go. When I went to UNH, I remember sitting down with a the coach there and talking to her about, you know, coming there and, and the need for scholarship in order to make the school affordable. Mm-hmm. And she, um, I, she just wasn't quite sure where I fit into the picture, and she's like, okay, well, one of the questions she asked me was, well, what makes you think that you're good enough to play here? Oh, my gosh. And I can remember when I went to UMass, and of course, uh, we played against the University of New Hampshire, and in my freshman year, I so wanted to show <laughs> the coach at UNH what, why I thought that I could play there, what I had that I could bring to her program that she, uh, I want to say, didn't want. So I probably had one of the best games of my life, but when the game was over, she came up to me and said, you know, and asked me why I did not choose UNH. And I thought, well, if you showed a little bit more interest, I might have been a little more interested in, in a, I could have come to the school because I loved the school, but, um, but I was unfortunate not to receive scholarship money. And I know players in the next couple of years at UMass came in on scholarship. So there was scholarship money there. It was just starting, just getting underway. I think the field hockey coach and lacrosse coach program. I don't know how those programs, how that money was distributed, if any of the money was in the field hockey program and, and scholarship was given to those girls and they in turn played lacrosse or exactly how that worked out. But, um, you know, but I would have loved to have received scholarship. I liked the size of the school. Um, I liked the, the look of the school. The campus was beautiful. However, they didn't have soccer. So that was my one drawback. My second drawback was affordability. Because it was an out-of-state school for me, mm-hmm. um, it would have been quite expensive. So going to the University of Massachusetts, I could play both soccer and lacrosse, and it was much more affordable. I think the funding for soccer, hadn't, uh, scholarship-wise, hadn't quite started yet. At what point were you earning uh, honors, individual honors as a player, either in soccer or lacrosse and in college? I started earning honors my freshman year. I was always you know, one of the leading scorers on both teams. That's incredible. I mean, I'm still going, wow, unbelievable to think about that. This woman is in the National Lacrosse Hall of Fame and did not get scholarship money. I hope folks are listening to this because I think a lot of times, uh, particularly men, look at uh, Proposition 9 and see it as a taking away from men's sports. But the fact that you were at that level and never received anybody coming to you and say, let's give you some money, you you deserve it. Tell me where does Proposition 9 play a role in your college of athletic experience? This is a law where if an institution is receiving federal funds, they must provide equal opportunity athletically for men and women, which that was not the case. So it didn't matter if you're a private institution like Harvard or Yale, if you receive federal money in terms of athletics, there had to be equal opportunities. So where did this play out in your athletic career? Yeah, so UMass, I think they tried pretty hard to try to see what they could do for women in sports. And as they picked up the soccer program, we always felt like they were trying to kind of get us on that equal level with the men's programs as far as transportation to and from games, uh, the fields we had to play on. I always felt we were pretty much on an even par with the men's uh, lacrosse team there. 
And Title IX was definitely a huge factor. I mean, without Title IX, I'm not so sure any of the opportunities for many of myself and my teammates would have even ever have come around. So Proposition 9 really has probably had a greater effect many years after your accomplishments of UMass for the women that came in, it sounds like. At the youth level, one of the things where that this plays out, this inequity between male and female sports is access to field space, field time, equipment. I mean, all those things you will see at the very local level, often there's an inequity that exists and people don't want to talk about it, but unless these points are raised, you will see, and unless there are parents who are in positions of authority for local youth leagues where voices are raised on behalf of women and their needs, these things still happen. So it may happen at the college level, but it also happens at the youth level. These things can happen. So I just think people need to be aware of it. Please email me at fdopie at gmail.com and share your questions. I will repeat them on the show so people get the benefit of your question and my response. Invite me to speak and host the Fred Opie Show at your school, club team, or camp by emailing me at fdopie at gmail.com. Hosting the show is a great way for the oldest students who are interviewed to pass on positive peer pressure to younger students. And during the Q&A with the audience, I share a perspective I wish I had when I was younger. Now back to the show. So tell me, were you there when UMass won the Women's National Championship? Yeah, actually, I was the captain of the team when UMass won the Women's Lacrosse National Championship, which I believe is the only championship that UMass has. Tell me, what was your major at uh, UMass, and how did you choose that major? Uh, I majored in elementary education. That was kind of an easy major for me to choose because uh, I just loved working with children. Now that you've been out of school for a while and you've been running a camp, you've been coaching and, and involved in education at many different levels, what would you consider the necessary course for a student-athlete to take before they graduate? I think a required course uh, that everyone could benefit from, whether they were an athlete or not, would be one that taught you about how the world kind of works. So once you graduated, you would know things like how to balance a budget, you know, how to apply for a loan, how mortgage rates work. I think that would have been very valuable. I think by playing on the sports, you learn all the people skills you need to take with you into the future. You also learn how to prioritize your time. You learn how to manage the stress of a busy schedule. And all of those things serve me greater than um, almost all of the classes I actually took while I was at school. In terms of your collegiate career, who were players on your team or, or opponents that still stick out in your mind as uh, forces of their own? Yeah, when I was playing at UMass, I played against Francesca Denhartog. She was an attack player for Harvard, and Sandy Bryan was a center for Dartmouth. And both of them happened to be the only other two women from New England who made the uh, national team. Um, But every time we played them, I was always, I mean, they were great players, they were fun to watch, and they were true competitors. Did you ever try out for one of the U.S. teams? So I was actually 
around when they started the United States women's soccer team. Okay. And I did not try out for that, but I had the opportunity to go in that direction. Mm-hmm. But I also had the opportunity to go and try out for the United States um, women's World Cup team. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I went in the direction of lacrosse okay. instead of soccer. So you put, you played on uh, one, two, how many did you play on? World Cup teams, I played on two. Why, and which country did you go to? In Australia, we played in Perth. And then the second one, the first one I actually played in was held at Swarthmore College in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. here in the United States. The national team I played on, we played in Perth. So I, we might have played... Oh, did you really? Yeah. Ah. We might have played the same stadium. How were the Aussies back when you played? Were they the team to beat back then, or was it the Canadians? You know, the Australians were definitely the team to beat. They had a woman on their team named Sue Mellis, and she was unbelievable. I mean, an incredible goal scorer, strong, smart, quick, a great player. But the thing I remember most about the Australians were how fun-loving they all were. Mm. Not only, yeah, not only the people on the team. Did you have to take out any student loans to pay for your undergraduate education? Yes, I did. I definitely did. Yes, and I took out loans that I had 10 years to pay back. I overloaded my semester so that I could graduate in three and a half years instead of four. Mm-hmm. I w- always wished I had stayed and played a full four years of both soccer and lacrosse because I think what you got out of that experience or what I got out of that experience, I was not able to get anywhere else in life. And about how much in student loans have you paid back? Do you have any idea? Between ten and $20,000. Oh, wow. How did that affect uh, you walking your children through the school selection process for those who went to college? Well, I talk to them a lot about, think, about thinking about what they want to do at the other end. So when they graduate from college, what are they hoping to do? And then we talk about how much money you're actually going to get paid to do that job. Mm-hmm. And so that should be a factor thrown into what colleges you're actually looking at. So by spending the money to go to the elite colleges, are you actually going to get a job that that, um, is going to pay you high enough to pay back some of those loans or to validate spending $60,000, $80,000 a year on a college degree? Or would you be better off looking at some of the state schools and seeing if they offer the same opportunity as far as sports and academics go for for the job that you want to end up in? I think that is excellent advice and what I suggest to my listeners, because I am uh, insistent on people uh, getting an affordable education. Did they push back on that, or did they understand what mom was trying to say? No, I think at first they hesitated, but then they all listened completely. I have one who thought he'd go to undergraduate school, and to kind of save money and make it worth more, he decided to stay at home for the first two years and then go to college, and then now he's thinking about going to law school. That, he kind of did it that way, thinking how could he afford to pay for eight years of college education. Um, then I have another daughter who was thinking about going into nursing, so we called several hospitals in areas that she was thinking of going to work to find out if it mattered where she went to get her degree. And every single one of them said, "For in nursing, no, it doesn't. Just get your four-year registered nursing degree. Therefore, she chose the school that was the most affordable, and uh, that's where she went. That is it's so good for people to hear that, um, that people 
they they get caught up into the names instead of as one of my friends who's coached with me who's a medical doctor he said fred it doesn't matter where you go to school it matters what you get do you work hard are you learning the content and people are not going to ask you before you put them under with anesthesia by the way doc where'd you go to school yeah exactly that's so true and i i have found that uh to be valid all the way across all the people that I know, the jobs that I've held, the jobs that my kids are looking at, that's so true. And I know, I mean, I watch kids as they work through college, and the harder they work for what they're trying to get, I think the more opportunities they're going to have when they're done. You know, I, I think some kids who go to college and just go and take the basic classes and then look to advance from there, kids are going to have a little bit of a harder time finding a job than those kids who are trying to find jobs while they're there and while they're going to school, they're trying to get internships you know, in that, that field. They're trying to learn as much about what they're studying as they possibly can. I just think hard work pays off. What do you think your gifts are, and how do you leverage those in the work and the service that you do today? If you were to ask my father that question, he would tell you my gift is athleticism. If you ask my mother that question, she would tell you my gift is probably being a team player. I'd say that thanks to both my parents, my gift is both. And I used both of those to make a career, number one, in coaching, which is where I started, and then also running a sports camp for girls, uh, which, by the way, is now in its 26th year. When and why did you decide to start a girls' sports camp, a summer camp? I started my sports camp while I was coaching at the University of New Hampshire. And I knew at the time that I really wanted to get out of coaching one day, primarily because of the travel and the time that it took to coach, but I also wanted to have a family. So I was thinking about how I could stay involved with my two favorite things, which are sports and working with children, and I came up with the idea of a summer sports camp. So I started this on the coattails of an already established boys' camp, and then after a couple of years, I took off on my own. You graduated from UMass. What's your first job out of school? When I graduated from UMass, I then went to work as a teacher, um, a teacher for uh, dyslexic children, actually, at the Landmark School, which is in Beverly, Mass. I worked there for a couple of years. While I was there... I, was, I started coaching a middle school team at another school called Glen Urquhart. Um, so I stayed at Landmark for two years, and I jumped over to become an athletic director, and I worked there for a couple of years. And while I was there, the University of New Hampshire was starting a soccer program. So the woman who was there as the field hockey coach knew me. She got in touch with me to see if I would be interested in the soccer program thinking that she could also pull me over as an assistant in the lacrosse program. I was hired as the head soccer and assistant lacrosse coach. However, Marissa Didio, who was the head lacrosse coach, um, left on sabbatical that year, so I actually was the head soccer coach and the head lacrosse coach, and then I remained that for the next soccer coach for 11 years and lacrosse coach for eight years. UNH wins a national championship. Were you on the coaching staff then? No, UNH won that national championship the year before I got there. How much did you all get out to do that kind of recruiting? Did you have money as the women's soccer coach and the assistant 
of La Crosse at UNH to offer any scholarship. Yeah, I did have money, actually, at the time, and um, I did make an effort to get out to see as many, as many students play that I possibly could. And it was similar to today in that it was far more efficient to go to big tournaments, mm -hmm. try to recruit, and to see more players play. Uh, it wasn't nearly as established or as big as it is today. There weren't as many tournaments out there. So you start the camp as a way of staying in the game even after you leave the college coaching. Tell me, what was something that you thought about being a camp director that you later learned you had totally wrong? Um, the importance of rooming for girls. I know it sounds kind of silly, but it's an overnight sweepaway camp. Mm -hmm. So for the girls, it was really important to them who their roommates were. And that was half of whether or not they were going to have a successful experience at camp was how successful they were with their roommates. Um, so that was a piece for me that I learned over the years that I needed to put more time in and make sure that each girl as an individual was going to be in the happiest situation I could possibly put her in before camp even started. As a college professor, I can tell parents out there that can make or break the college experience as well. If you don't have the right roommate, it can get nasty, ugly, and I'm ready to go home. So how did you work out that dilemma as the camp director? Well, initially, on the forms, we asked for roommate requests. Okay. So I would go through the rooming request, and whenever something was, either they didn't have a rooming request or two or three people requested the same person, you know, and it was like, okay, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. I would just kind of put it together based on the information that I had. And probably for about two or three summers in a row, there were always a handful of girls that would come and would be unhappy with their roommate before they even moved in. They would mm -hmm. get there and find out this was their roommate, and mm -hmm. they would be in tears. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to stay, and it was a very difficult scene for their parents and for me as well. Mm -hmm. But after that, I figured, okay, if I have any of these issues where I'm not quite sure where these girls fit into the picture, called parents of both, all the kids who were involved and figured it out and then had the solution before they arrived. It's much easier now because I can do that through emails, but when I first started, it was phone calls. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of extra work, but it totally pays off in the experience that the girl has in the end. The show will be right back. Start with your gift. Understand and monetize it while serving others with it. This book is written for the younger version of me. And Start With Your Gift, I help you recognize your gift select mentors, choose the right school and training, consider childhood wounds in need of healing, identify internships, show you how to select jobs, get your financial house in order, live and give like no one else. And it's available on Amazon.com as a ebook or paperback. Now back to the show. If you could have dinner with three people, dead or alive, who would they be and why? My first one, he was my inspiration when I was a player, is Larry Bird from the Boston Celtics. Another person that I'd love to interview with or have dinner with would be my active idol, who is Tom Brady, you know, is the quarterback for the New England Patriots. I love the way both of those two play the game. Um, I have always admired their athleticism, their, their ability to see the whole field, uh, you know, their passing ability. It's just been very impressive. 
they had an opportunity to do something that I, as a female athlete, never had the opportunity to do. And that opportunity was really to make a jillion dollars by, by playing a sport that you love. And so I would, I would love to talk in depth with them about that. The third person I think I'd probably like to have dinner with would be Rosa Parks. Um, I would love to be able to sit down with her and just talk to her about her courage and just the things she did for um, women and minorities. Very impressive. So let me give you a uh, suggestion for Brady uh, when you go to a restaurant to him. You choose the restaurant because the guy's on this diet that you may not like the meal (laughs) that he dials up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know, I read, actually, my husband has his book. I'm waiting for my turn to read it. Okay. You know, he does uh, his eating habits. He's just really particular. I recently heard a podcast on the life of uh, Althea Gibson. She's the first uh, African-American woman to win the U.S. Open and Wimbledon. And very similar to what you said about why you'd want to have dinner with uh, Bird and Brady. She can't make a living off of tennis because there is no pro tennis until Billie Jean King and other women organize uh, the network that we now see they play in and make money off of. Then she changes the golf because there's an opportunity. But this is during Jim Crow segregation. So she can't play in many of the venues because she's this black woman. So she dies almost in, in poverty and very bitter just because of what you said, the lack of opportunity she received as a female athlete and the lack of opportunity she received as an African-American athlete. So I very much resonate with uh, your choice and why you want to meet with these two. How has your diet and exercise changed since your freshman year at UMass? Eating and training have definitely changed with me over the years. Um, I've always been thin, and I really want to stay that way. Um, So I tend to ride the bike a lot right now, um, or I try to exercise at least three times a week. Um, You know, with all my kids, they do keep me running around and keep me active and somewhat healthy. Uh, Now when it comes to diet, I guess I've just always been concerned with making healthy choices when it comes to food. Um, Over the years, I've gotten much more involved in eating organic foods, and many more vegetables. How did you eat and how did you work out in terms of keeping yourself fit as a freshman at UMass? I was eating in the dining halls when I was a freshman and I, I was eating pretty healthy. I mean, I was eating dining hall food, which I actually really enjoyed, um, eating lots of pasta uh, in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I still ate junk food. I mean, I always liked a good dessert, um, you know, so, so that was never a problem for me. Um, and working out wise, we were still training, you know, every day. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we did also some weightlifting and running and whatnot on our own mm-hmm. outside of practices on a regular basis as well. Mm-hmm. Most of that training, we were told what to do. Mm-hmm. And we just followed the coach's orders, so to speak. Here is my last question for you. And the question I don't tell my guests, so unless they listen to one of the podcasts, they don't know what's coming. Uh, we, you go to the doctor for your regular checkup, and they discover that you have some rare disease, and uh, it's, it's going to take your life, and, it's, and it's, it's rapidly moving. I'd like you to make a video, and we're going to memorialize your life. You won't be there, but we want you to share Three things you would leave in your video that would tell people how to live a life for the greatest impact. What would you say? 
Oh, that's an interesting question. You work hard for what you want. I think hard work pays off, and quite often it pays off for things you weren't even working for, weren't even thinking about, and uh, they kind of fall in your lap because your work ethics were so great. To live to love. You know, live to love those around you. You know, live to love every day. Live to cherish the things you have. You know, and I think I would just fill my life and fill my family, fill my surroundings with as much love as you possibly can. And then there's always kindness and consideration for others. You know, to, to make sure that you are leading a life where you feel like you're giving unto others um, as often as you possibly can. I want to thank okay. you for being a trailblazer in women's lacrosse, women's athletics, and coaching in summer camps. I think um, that more people need to know about your message and that we need to do more than just have a plaque about what you've done, but also a message. And I hope that this podcast gets passed on from one person to the other so people understand uh, just what you've done. Uh, You've got a lot of life to live, but you sure have set a positive example for many to follow. Well, thank you. Thank you. I so appreciate it. And, and I've enjoyed all the opportunities that I have had growing up as a female athlete, but I also hope that many, many more opportunities are there for women in the very near future. I'm not so sure I would ever see something like being able to make the kind of money that Tom Brady and Mary Bird have made for women who are in basketball or soccer or lacrosse, but there's always hope, and hopefully one day, and I think as uh, everyone keeps pushing forward, hopefully we'll have support from both men and women for all of us to pursue whatever it is we choose. That's a wrap for this show. Thanks for listening. To hear more content like it, go to fredopi.com. This show could have been brought to you by your company. If you have questions about advertising and sponsoring this show, contact us at fdopie at gmail.com. That's fdopie at gmail.com. Start with a gift. Learn how to understand your gift, monetize it, and serve others with it. I wrote it for the younger version of me, who I describe as having sports on the brain and lots of pain. It'll be available online at fredopi.com.